Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Neil Garfield Show, a presentation sponsored by the Living Lies Blog, GTC Honor. Welcome to the Neil Garfield Show, a presentation sponsored by the Living Lies Blog, GTC Honors, LendingLies.com, and The Garfield Firm. Servicing all 50 states and 24 countries with news and analysis about the largest economic crime in human history. This program is for general information only and should not be used as a substitute for legal advice or consultation with a licensed professional. This show is not intended as a solicitation for the engagement of any services. And now sitting in for Neil this week, it's your host, Charles Marshall. Hello, everyone. And here we are on July 1st, 2021. And I, I am here live from San Diego, California, and I have my co-host with me as well, Bill Padalo. Welcome, Bill. Hi, Charles. Are you uh, having a bit of heat wave down there like we all are up here in the Pacific Northwest area? Uh, most of California is uh, at least on portions of the coast, like where I am in San Diego and I believe Orange County's coastal is similar. I mean, the temperature has been in the 70s this entire time. It's uh, oh, it's not that way in. You're you're lucky. Even up here by uh, Glacier National Park, it's uh, we've had about 108 here for the last few days. So it's been pretty warm. Right. I have been hearing uh, that. I mean, the truly record-setting, not just hype, but actual fact. The temperatures up there. So, without further ado, <clears throat> I'm first going to be discussing uh, what's called the American Property Owners Network. Now, this is an organization that was recently formed. It is a nonprofit. <clears throat> its goal is to unite homeowners and, you know, rental property owners, essentially anyone who's got a legal interest in a securitized mortgage, something that theoretically they thought was a loan many years ago, but in reality doesn't have the legal features of a loan, particularly with what's been done in the securitization process. And I think listeners to this show know all too well and know well from a lot of the uh, topics that we've discussed on this discussion show, and I will say, as I typically do, that this is a discussion and a topical show. We're not imparting legal advice. Uh, Listeners should consult with licensed professionals to get specific legal advice on mortgage topics. And our purpose today is to uh, update, as we do, a number of different areas related to foreclosure and really to introduce to listeners uh, some important points about the American Property Owners Network. Now, again, this is, was just recently formed. Its uh, genesis is in Florida, and it's, it's going to essentially be um, a vehicle for Neil to petition the Florida Supreme Court 
And the purpose of the petition is to get the Supreme Court in Florida to really revisit and revise the legal structure, the legal predicate, which homeowners, as we know, have to litigate through as things stand now. In other words, as our listeners well know, as matters stand now, when homeowners are trying to challenge either a foreclosure lawsuit against them, the homeowner, where they have a defendant, in a judicial foreclosure state like Florida, or where they might be in a state like California, uh, Oregon, where um, foreclosures typically are non-judicial, then they would typically be on the plaintiff's side. From either direction, it is absolutely the case that legal procedure is often unavailing. The institutional players on the other side, be they plaintiffs, be they defendants, the usual suspects, the U.S. Bank Securitized Trust, the Wells Fargo Securitized Trust, the Chase Bank's Securitized Trust having taken over from WAMU. And, of course, many of those uh, loans that came through the WAMU receivership, they often end up uh, sometime later as U.S. Bank uh, or, or uh, Wells Fargo loans of one sort or another. And, of course, there are a number of other players out there that uh, – we come across and show up in the pleadings all over the country and thousands of cases all over the U.S. So the purpose of this case in Florida is to break through the thicket, to break through what really is a just procedural nightmare for homeowners where, again, the institutional players are able to essentially abuse the litigation process and take every advantage to prevent homeowners from being able to present their their evidence, their evidence of fraud, their evidence of the lack of standing for the institutional players to be pursuing either a foreclosure through a judicial state like Florida or defending one in a non-judicial state like California. So uh, I think the APON uh, nonprofit is going to be a great organization. This is kind of its its maiden, uh, shall we say, event to be doing this Florida petition. It's going to be a clearinghouse for a lot of great uh, pleading practice ideas that are going to be promulgated by Neil, uh, myself, Bill Padalo. Ultimately, I believe, attorneys all around the country, this is absolutely not just an organization with its only purpose in Florida. This is the beginning, and yes, one of its first purposes is going to be directed to this Florida petition. And now, one might remember that even if the Supreme Court in Florida, let's say they punt, let's say, look, we're not going to rewrite legal codes, procedural or substantive, in the state of Florida. Uh, we might agree that your petition has some merit or you've identified a problem that needs addressing. However, you need to go to the legislature to have that 
corruption essentially addressed. I think that's one potential response from the Florida Supreme Court. I know Neil is working on legal angles to essentially um, work around that objection. And uh, frankly, this is an area where there could be uh, almost like a special committee formed. And yes, potentially that special committee coming out of the Florida Supreme Court could work with legislative bodies. Uh, we're not trying to uh, do this uh, by fiat, like so many COVID rules have been promulgated, uh, where they're just uh, executive orders issued and they don't seem to be tethered to anything. Yes, there's likely to be possibly even a somewhat lengthy legal process for this new framework that Neil will be proposing to become uh, seriously entertained and ultimately promulgated through the Florida Supreme Court. Now, whatever happens here, of course, this will be groundbreaking, just the legal petition itself for this area. Uh, The goal then will be to bring similar petitions around the country. Certainly California is ripe, my legal state, the state where I practice. California is very much ripe for this type of uh, petition. And we will be, you know, I should say that's the Royal Week. And I don't mean that in some, uh, some collusive sense uh, for those in the audience who are always looking for uh, legal angles themselves to play out. Uh, again, this is just a topic show. We're, we're talking about various uh, things that are going on in the legal world and Neil's Petition is one of those. Uh, so getting rid of the world, we, I will say that APON is going to be coordinating with attorneys all around the country to uh, bring similar petitions uh, to the extent that I see merit in a petition that's brought in California. Uh, I may weigh in. There are a number of legal items to consider on that. I certainly won't rule out Wayne in advance, and I think it's the kind of thing that needs to be promulgated and brought, whether I'm ultimately associated with it or not. And as I indicate, uh, ideally I will be. But again, there are a bunch of legal angles to that that I have to to look at first, and so I will. And uh, with this launch of APON, there is going to be a kind of meet and greet with, I think, what will be a very robust uh, question and answer. That's a Q&A session, and that will be held uh, this Tuesday by a webinar, and that's July 6th at 4.30 p.m. I think the best way to get information about this is simply to go to Neil's blog. You will see links on Neil's blog, so you'll be able to get more information, whether it's through Neil's blog or some of the principles of APON itself, uh, you're going to find plenty of opportunity to sign up for this webinar. And uh, it's the information provided will even tell you what time zone, given that you're in, you need to plug in. So just uh, short of it is 
this webinar will be taking place Tuesday, July 6th. So remember, July 5th is Independence Day observed, July 4th being on a Sunday. So the next court day, as it were, the next business day will be that Tuesday of next week coming. And the webinar will be 4.30 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, so mark your calendars accordingly. Uh, Bill, if you have anything you want to weigh in on uh, regarding the uh, the APON activity, the webinar, et cetera, uh, go ahead and do that now. You can also feel free to address this whole continual craziness of uh, within the institutional players, and there are many layers addressing how certificate holders are basically nowhere to be found in uh, a huge portion of securitized trust arrangements, and you've got some information about a particular U.S. bank angle, but you can take uh, those topics in either order, however you'd like to proceed. Sure. I'd be happy to. Thanks, Charles. Um, yeah, I'm always glad to contribute a little bit of uh, information if it's helpful to those listeners out there. Um, regarding some current intel that I uh, continue to come across that uh, helps, um, you know, paint this picture and make it very clear as to what we're up against. Now, first of all, with APON, um, obviously the coordination and putting something like this together is a very difficult thing to do, and it's it's long overdue um, to have this type of coordination because of the entities that we're up against um, uh, and being able to um, create a, an entity that's going to get some attention or at least some through lobbying efforts, whatever it takes, to, uh, to get the change uh, that so desperately is needed uh, when it comes to um, this, this mess of uh, foreclosures that you know, most people in the, in the media and everything out there these days, um, even people I talk to on a regular basis that aren't really clear of what I do for a living, find it hard to believe that we're still dealing with this mess of the crash since 2008 and that uh, this problem is uh, every bit as prevalent and as strong today as it was back then. Um, that goes to show how, uh, or what a good job anyway, that um, the powerful interests have done and in, in, in tamping down um, the storyline and making it appear as though that these problems uh, aren't persisting and that they've corrected everything. Well, that's, that could, there couldn't be anything farther from the truth. So, you know, the, the hope and the goal here with APON, obviously, is uh, this fledgling business, you know, enterprise here is to get it to grow and to get the interest in the word out there um, so that through donations, whatever it takes, uh, that this can spread and grow and continue to grow um, in, in, in the years to come because, um, as I've always said, and I'm sure uh, the listeners agree, this is, this is a problem that I predicted way at the beginning that was going to be a 30-year problem at a minimum. Um, and uh, we're only about halfway through this, uh, at least from the 2008 perspective, and now it's just going to continue to evolve and morph uh, due to the current conditions with COVID. So, um, again, it's a much-needed forum, and um, and spread the word and, and get it out there, and I'm happy to assist in educating and training and whatever it takes um, to see this uh, succeed. So I'm very happy to, 
to see this um, APON kind of uh, beginning to take roots. Um, that being said, uh, just a little bit on the Intel front, and the reason why APON is so important now and to getting the messages across to the, the, the higher courts and the politicians and whomever we can get the attention of um, is that the evidence is getting more clear and, and, and um, obnoxious, <laughs> I guess there's no other word for it, each day that uh, we continue in this fight. And after 10 years or plus now, um, the information that we're going to be able to show and provide uh, those that are willing to listen and change these rules is going to paint a very clear picture. And this is what we're, where we're at, and I think uh, I've talked about Neil's his, his blog here in about the last uh, six months to a year now, where we're really hammering down on the fact that uh, there just simply is no debt out there that can be identified through any kind of verifiable accounting. Uh, there's no debt on any ledger or books and records of any party who uh, claims to be a claimant uh, who is seeking to enforce uh, the remedy of foreclosures through the mortgages and deeds, judicially, non-judicially, um, and that this is all you know, kabuki theater, really. Um, and part of that, uh, you know, we've talked a lot about U.S. Bank and, and these uh, rent-a-charter schemes, so to speak, and how uh, the testimony, even from their corporate trustee officers, uh, is that look, they don't, they can't identify the certificate holders, um, they can't verify any of the accounting, they have no agency with the servicers or oversight of the servicers. They basically know nothing. Well, you know, the one thing that uh, U.S. Bank has admitted in deposition is that uh, when asked, where, you know. How do you how do you know who you represent as a certificate holder? Uh, if you can't identify them, where would where would you go to identify them? And the only response was um, to go look at the depository trust company, the DTC. And they basically the answer is you know go talk to them, I guess, if you want to find out who who they are because we have no way of knowing. Well. Some intel and, and some things that I've come across here uh, in looking at the DTC and one of the problems that they were dealing with back in uh, after the crash with all the pooling and servicing agreements and the litigation that ensued by the investors was that uh, the PSAs were very general in their language um, saying that the trustees could recognize the registered holders of the securities for all basic purposes and and could basically assume uh, for that that they had the consent to proceed or do anything in their name but it was but the language there was very vague and it was causing problems and lo and behold um, it appears through some of my research that the depository trust company is uh, generally unwilling to consent uh, to um, any uh, direction on behalf of the beneficial owners, consent to allowing the trustees or anybody to take action on behalf of the so-called registered owners. So there's sort of a gatekeeper that's unwilling to cooperate and get the consent. So there's a huge disconnect uh, between the so-called investors and the certificates, and we've always known that, but now it's very clear 
that um, there is there is no consent. Therefore, the trustee has no idea who they represent. They don't have consent of the certificate holders they represent. And the trustees are simply saying, um, we don't have oversight or agency with the servicers. Go talk to them. So here we go, come full circle. What are we dealing with? We're dealing with servicers who are claiming authority on behalf of everything to do what they're doing when no such authority exists. So two more quick um, intel pieces for people that are still still dealing with uh, uh, new century loans, for example. Um, I did a little bit more digging in that new century uh, bankruptcy, and uh, it seems to me I'm getting some cases now coming across my desks that are uh, foreclosures with new century notes um, that are endorsed by the liquidating trustee. So in the new century liquidation trust, or in the, in the bankruptcy, a liquidating trust was formed, and um, the liquidating trustee made some very interesting um, admissions in the filings within that bankruptcy, one of which is he, he admits that the new century bankruptcy uh, the liquidating, liquidating trust owns nothing, and that there were not that they didn't have possession or access to a single original note that came through that bankruptcy. So that right there is kind of peculiar because I'm seeing notes endorsed by the liquidating trustee claiming to be the original notes being presented now in foreclosure proceedings when the trustee says. We didn't get any original notes, nor did we take ownership or control of any of those notes. The other interesting th thing about the uh, liquidating trustee's admissions is he talks about the, the practices uh, that went on in the day, uh, the business practices of New Century, and it's pretty much can be applied to all entities uh, during that time period, um, is that when they would originate the loans, they would simply send those documents out to ACS, uh, uh, Applied Computer, uh, I can't the exact, uh, I've talked about ACS with Washington Mutual, but anyway, it's ACS Image Solutions. They would scan the documents into the systems, and then from that point on, the original files really are unknown. So he, what he says and admits in here is that, uh, the collateral files are simply copies of branch files that are held by entities such as uh, Iron Mountain and Beacons, for example, and that uh, these were just copies of copies. The originals, he admits, basically are scattered to the wind. He can't put his finger on where they are, only the fact that he doesn't have them and never got them through the bankruptcy. Um, but they were... Uh, there were copies made of copies and so on and so forth, but uh, the admissions are really um, quite astonishing, and it does and it makes complete sense to uh, uh, for everything that I'm investigating and seeing and all of us in these foreclosure proceedings, right? So the other one bit of information is the PHH, uh, which has connections to Aquin and Ascendant Mortgage back in the day. Um, I had an interesting case now where PHH filed a petition in the Delaware Chancery Court seeking for the court to provide a substitution trustee or an appointment of a trustee on behalf of a Bishop's Gate Mortgage Loan Trust. Now, Bishop's Gate Mortgage Loan Trust, this was a 
uh, an entity that kind of came from Sendent. So we're talking about securitizations that started around 2000 moving forward. Um, but PHH, Aqua, and these entities had the servicing for, you know, thousands of loans and all these securitized trusts through these entities. And what this petition says is very clear that the trust was closed and terminated and canceled in 2008, as was the trustee. Now, the trustees are U.S. Bank, lots of these national institutions. Uh, they were all completely terminated and canceled. And what PHH is saying in this ridiculous petition is – after the the trust was canceled, um, we continued to operate as servicer um, and, and continued to live on on behalf of the trust, even though the trust didn't exist anymore. And we've been doing this for years, and now apparently they're in um, a kind of a pickle because they – uh, need to endorse notes and create assignments, and uh, somewhere they uh, got the memo that they need some sort of permission granted to continue to proceed to fabricate and all these documents on behalf of the dead trust. So uh, what happens is the uh, Chancery Court grants this motion, appoints some attorney out of New Jersey and says, okay, you're the substituting trustee, you can issue a power of attorney, and we're going to make it retro back to 2008. So PHH, you can go ahead, endorse notes on behalf of the dead trust, do whatever needs to be done to fix this mess and proceed on. So it's uh, one more uh, storyline that you can't make it up. Um, they don't have the goods, they've never had the authority in the goods, and they've just continued to make it up as they go, forge and fabricate on behalf of uh, parties that don't exist and have, have no authority to give. <laughs> so that's the latest yeah, that's on the really, intelligence front, Charles. That's a, really, uh, that's a really good point, Bill. I mean, essentially what's happening there is that the courts are facilitating what, what amounts to, uh, you know, again, a subtle legal description. It's simply like, be a topical observation that it does amount to arguably fraud, what's going on. And the courts are facilitating that and financing it for the simple purpose of avoiding, you know, having to, to wade through really complex, deep, deeply involved litigation, uh, not just at a, at a sort of unwinding all the trust issues point of view, which can be done and is done uh certainly by Neil, myself, and a number of others around the country, you, Bill, as well. And, you know, the other bottom line there is they're trying to avoid this, you know, tsunami of individual cases that could no doubt ensue. If they did, you know, shut down the institutional players based on these types of fraud. So um, on that note, I am going to need to move over to the COVID column now. Uh, I will tell uh, listeners as we've been speculating, I guess it's almost predictable at this point. Uh, I thought it was still kind of an open question. However, it is a, it is a fact now that the uh, the national eviction moratorium and the national foreclosure moratorium, and that associated with quite a quite a few states, including California, extending their moratoriums both on the foreclosure front and the eviction front as a slight wrinkle to the national foreclosure one where for certain purposes it extends to July 31st. But really, if you're already in forbearance or you're looking to apply for a forbearance uh, or you're already protected under the umbrella of that, 
uh, again, you have various online resources, including, uh, you know, the Federal Housing Administration, uh, the CDC for evictions, other alphabet soup government agencies, uh, you know, a simple website search, and as I've also said before, DuckDuckGo is my preference. Simple website search will often bring up the most uh, relevant, latest uh, information in these areas. But the bottom line is, for all practical purposes, not literally all, but most of the practical ones, and legal, the, both the, the moratorium national and the eviction uh, angle out of the CDC has been extended until September 30th. Now, there are still some states like Texas moving forward in some capacity with evictions. I will say that, and I did mention this in the last program, I don't have time to go deep into it right now, but I think I am going to send to Neil the San Diego eviction moratorium, which was passed here by the county supervisors on May 21st, just over a month ago. That absolutely specifically refers to former homeowners of foreclosed properties. I think it's a very powerful development. It's going to be used by a lot of attorneys here in San Diego. And I'd like to see it promulgated elsewhere. So uh, I'm going to circulate it to Neil, and hopefully people will get access to that. So on that note, thank you, Bill. And uh, check out this. Uh, I, would, I encourage everyone to check out the webinar, the APOM webinar next Tuesday. Thanks again, Bill. All right. Thanks, Charles. The opinions expressed on The Neil Garfield Show are those of its hosts and should not be ascribed to any other persons or entities. For more information about Neil, the blog, or upcoming seminars, please visit livinglies.me. Give us a call at 954-451-1230 or send an email to n-e-i-l-f-g-a-r-f-i-e-l-d at hotmail.com. Thank you for listening to The Neil Garfield Show. If the information has helped you, consider making a donation by visiting livinglies.me. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.